Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you doing on this beautiful Tuesday evening? I'm doing great, Cade. Thanks for asking and just just thinking about football. We're so close. We're so close. How are you? I'm doing really good, man. I'm thinking that uh, now's the time to launch our, we've talked about our, you know, weather spinoff podcast. I have a name for it. I thought about it as I walked outside this morning to like 68 degree weather. Feels like football weather, TM. Ooh, I so, like that. So that'll be a bonus episode coming every week. Yeah, exactly. You can get that on the Patreon where I go over some <laughs> weather patterns. But no, seriously, Dustin, I, the last two days in Oklahoma, it's not just the calendar turning. It literally feels like football outside. So uh, I I am drinking an Oktoberfest while I can before this next heat wave comes in. Uh, I'm I'm absolutely ushering things in. So I'm fired up. Yeah, and we are going to – I know, Cade, we were talking about it off air, but we're going to be talk, going heavy football. I think we decided this will be the last episode of this season. Yep. So starting next week, we'll be pretty much – only football unless there's some other big Oklahoma State news we'll obviously hit it but we'll probably cut the NFL updates the roundup and we'll just be going strictly football we probably talk some depth chart our favorite thing we'll probably talk a line talk quarterbacks we'll talk (laughs) opponents we'll do some superlatives so no special teams though don't come no here for special, special teams. teams at all. We won't even mention it. That'll be the last time. And then, <laughs> I, I mean, Kate, that's that kind of sets us up to move right into football season. We love talking about the other sports, but we also really love talking about football. Yeah, I mean, this upcoming weekend is the last weekend uh, with no football until February. So uh, it's an extremely exciting time of year. I know it is for you. It is for me as well. So yeah. Uh, I mean, it's already kind of starting with NFL preseason, right? Which I don't know if you caught any action, if you could even really call it that. But man, the preseason is normally pretty meh. But (laughs) this season has been really tough to watch. Are you watching much? Yeah, I mean, I watched. So the Saints were on NFL Network on Sunday. I caught a little of that. That's actually what I'm talking about. But yeah, (laughs) I watched that one. That game, that game was kind of boring until the end. The end had yeah, got interesting. interesting with the field goal late and everything for the saints to win it. But yeah, I agree with you, especially when the big names sit out now, as the years have gone on, the big names sit out even more and more. Right. And some of the older players like your Aaron Rodgers and stuff don't really even play at all. So Derek Carr actually played a little bit in that saints game and that was talking saints, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. Not, not a lot going on. A lot of Oklahoma state action though, Cade, a lot of guys wow. played. I, I think when we went through, all the players, I know some of my friends that listen to the podcast, I forced them to, but that listened to the podcast. When we listed off all those NFL guys from Oklahoma State, they were as shocked as you and I were reading it off. Like, I, There are a lot of Oklahoma State players in the NFL that I think are going to stick on teams moving into this season and in the future. Yeah, I mean, you said it. When you were reading it off, I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot he was still in the NFL. It was significant, and it makes this segment a little more fun when we go recap 
kind of the guys that are playing and, and contributing in the preseason. There are tons of guys fighting for roster spots. Some that were on rosters last year that, you know, are, are still kind of on that bubble. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of fun to keep up with. So yeah, Dustin, thanks. Yeah, and so Kate and I were just going to hit a couple of the, you know, when I read some of these stats, I'll be like, those aren't big stats, but some of the notable stats from some of these guys won't read through everybody. Cause literally there's like 26 guys. We mentioned <laughs> Matt Himbro, a guy that we thought was going to be a surefire starter is on the Arizona Cardinals season injury reserve. So we won't see him this season. That sucks, but I'm sure he'll be back really talented, but hey, the first person I wanted to hit and th- cause this was the one kind of going viral on Twitter. And I think the only TD scored by an Oklahoma State player was Tylen Wallace. Two receptions, two targets, 18 yards, and he had the awesome TD grab. Also, there's a clip floating around right now of him getting a little chippy in the team practice yeah, the Ravens man. are in right now. So that was pretty awesome to see from Tylen, and you know maybe that boosts his stock, gets him used a little bit more in the Ravens offense uh, run by Todd Monken now, former Oklahoma State offensive coordinator. What did you think about that catch? Well, and it was fantastic. And in honor of Tylen Wallace, I went back today while I was on the treadmill because I, I can listen to music while I run. But what apparently really gets me going is Tylen Wallace, Wallace uh, college highlights. And I, I did watch <laughs> 20 minutes of Tylen Wallace on the treadmill this afternoon. That's awesome. Uh, because I knew this was coming. So just a total man amongst boys, maybe underrated in the Oklahoma state receiver lexicon, because maybe that 2018 year was a little like forgotten, but the dude was a freak. And I mean, he's still in the NFL, you know, playing he's, he's on the roster. And so a uh, great catch. And uh, I loved, I loved seeing him get a little chippy in the, uh, in the action there. Yeah. I, I think that's a great call by you. It almost feels a little bit forgotten at times with the big names that Oklahoma state has had at wide receiver. And maybe that's just you and I, but it's weird that that would happen because they even teased him a little bit as a freshman. So he yeah. was there, you know, 100%. all four years. So it's, it's interesting that, 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 that would happen by, but I agree with you there on the flip. This is maybe not super great stats here from our guy, Tanner Brown, but remember he's the only kicker with the Rams right now. He went one for two on field goals. He missed a 47 yarder in the first great. half, but then he came back and hit a 39 yarder in the fourth quarter. And he was two for two on extra points. You would have loved for him to hit. I know 47, it's not short, but you would have loved it for him to be kind of perfect on anything under 50 in the preseason. I know it's a lot to ask. He's still got a lot to like, he can improve upon and keep working. But I think if he misses one in the next game, Cade, you would think the Rams signed somebody if they haven't already actually didn't even check today. Yeah, I was, again, watching preseason and watching all these kickers miss, and it's just, they're so critical to make. It's like, it's not like kicking a game-winning field goal, but it's probably the next most nerve-wracking situation for a kicker is, I'm a rookie, or I'm not really, I'm on the bubble, this has to go in, and I get limited opportunities to do so. So yeah, uh, I would want to know what's going through Tanner Brown's head the next time he steps up, because uh, I'm sure it's going to be some anxiety. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'll, he's probably, I know it's a kicker. And I know we don't talk a lot of special teams. We literally just said we weren't going to talk any. But he's very interesting in this preseason story because I think, like you said, he's kind of, even though they don't have another kicker on the roster, he's kind of on the bubble because he's yep. such a young kicker. Kicking is such a mental game right. as well as physical. So if he if he misses anymore, there's a bunch of guys waiting as kickers that well, you can call up. He could even call up Dan Bailey. 
that's a hundred percent hit. There's so many guys that you can just plug and play. Probably the most plug and play position on the football field, maybe outside of quarterback if you're Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. But yeah, I mean it it's absolutely, you know, a a do or die uh position in preseason for a guy like Tanner Brown. Yeah. Back to the positive side, and that wasn't really negative on Brown, just maybe a little bit kind of negative there at the end, talking about him possibly getting replaced. But Mason Rudolph with the Steelers, 7 for 12, 132 yards, a TD, and no interceptions. He also, those videos were kind of floating around Oklahoma State Twitter because he made a couple of really nice throws that were clipped and posted and kind of getting retweeted there. Well, I mean, was it not? quintessential Mason Rudolph. I mean, seven of 12, 132 yards and a touchdown. That feels like his entire NFL like existence is whenever he plays, that's the (laughs) stat line. And if he throws it more, it's, it's really not going to change a whole lot, but that throw down the sideline, man, you forget how big his arm is. And it was really, it's 62 yards. It traveled in the air and almost a flick of the wrist and in the bread basket. So I, I love seeing Mason Rudolph do good things. I mean, he's probably third string in Pittsburgh this season. So, you know, getting to see him do this is great, but I, I, I wonder what it takes for him at some point to be moved and, and hopefully into a situation where we get to watch him because the Steelers are going to be looking to, you know, get back to the postseason like this year. Yeah. It's almost to the point in Rudolph's career, Cade, where, if he performs well in the preseason and, you know, he has to get in due to injury and does okay in in a regular season game, you're looking at possibly a Chase Daniel career here. For sure. What's it been, like six years now <laughs> in yeah. the NFL? This is year six. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, he's he's teetering on that edge. If he could stick around another year or two, then that's where you kind of stick around until you're 36, 37, 38 as a backup in the league, like a chase Daniel. So it'll be interesting to watch. I think it's almost a, not a make or break. And I think there's still a shot. You know, he could be that number one guy. I think that's that chance is kind of fading a little bit, but if he's able to show that he's a solid backup, smart player, I know it's mainly it's only been with the Steelers, but he could stick around and make himself some really good money. I uh, he could just go Matt Castle on everybody too. I mean, there's been some backup quarterbacks that have hung around for 15 years, have worn like eight different helmets. Do it. Uh, that's fine. Hey, you make a killing. Yeah, your Daniel, yes. your Castle, so many guys. So we'll see. Uh, but that's it's it's interesting to. Th- think that we're there with Mason Rudolph now, but it is kind of cool as well. Yeah. Um, one of your guys for the Dallas Cowboys, Devin Harper. That's right. Second most tackles on the team with six, three solo, a pass defended and a fumble recovery. Yeah. Which is outstanding. The Cowboys are loaded at linebacker, but they need depth. And Devin Harper last year was a guy fighting for a roster spot injury. Uh, set him back. But I, I do think he's going to make the roster. It, they, it seems like they love him. Yeah, and he's a guy that you and I both really liked in college. We should have got to see him play more, but Oklahoma State's linebacker room was really crowded as well during his career. Sucks that Thomas Harper didn't stick around. He's at Notre Dame now, his little brother, but Devin was a great player. It'll be awesome to kind of watch him with the Cowboys. And speaking of linebackers, Eamon Ogbong-Vamiga with the Chargers also had six tackles and three solo, two hits on the QB during those. He honestly... From what I had heard, he impressed last year in camp and in preseason. So if he continues to play well, we might see him on the field for the Chargers. He 
he would he made the roster last year like he yeah. had game action i i fully expect him to have game action this year too i mean with the stat line like that in the preseason there, n- no question i mean and even you know not to totally take us back to devin harper but devin harper is really battling one guy in jabril cox and and it seems like the cowboys could go either way but they don't even really want to get rid of one but they're gonna have to uh you hope that it's not harper but I think Ogbogmamiga is in a little bit better spot where he is right now with the Chargers having already had that game action. Um, yeah, and, and performing well in the preseason doesn't hurt. Yeah, uh, along with him, just a couple other quick notes. Marcel Aitman had two receptions with the Bills. You know, we talked about Braden Johnson getting cut, Marcel Aitman getting added. Two receptions for 41 yards, two targets. He's still that kind of big play threat, that third down go-to guy jumping back into the NFL from the XFL on a team like the bills. You could see if some injuries happen, something like that. Marcel Aitman gets in there. Josh Allen hits him for a couple big TDs in a meaningful game. And then Marcel Aitman sticking around for five, six more years in the NFL, pretty much guaranteed. hundred percent, man. Uh, No, no question. I, I think both of those guys, I mean, Aitman you think about, and then his counterpart, Washington, who we haven't got to yet, but it's it's been underwhelming for both of them, but Aitman's, you know, the guy that's stuck around a little bit better in the league. You know, Washington's battled injuries, obviously, really two seasons mired by injuries. So, uh, you know, you look at Aitman as a guy that, I mean, he's going into year six and he continues to kind of bounce around. And uh, I don't know his chances. I don't know the bills as well, but uh, y- you hope that there's a shot for him in Buffalo, but I just don't know. Yeah, and sorry for the random order on this. I should have had this one up with Tylen Wallace, but Justice Hill was the Ravens' leading rusher with three carries for 48 yards. That's a good clip. Big run, I believe. So, you know, he hasn't been used very much. It's honestly surprising to me that he's still on the Ravens because you don't really see him in a ton of game action unless there's injuries. He's not really ever a guy you pick up in fantasy football or anything like that, but he's stuck around and yeah. he's still with the Ravens. It's it's honestly quite interesting. It is. And I mean, you think about the guys that they've had in the past. Again, I don't know the Ravens as well. I can't pretend to know their running back room, but he's competed with so many running backs for that second slot. And he's the one that's stuck around the longest out of, out of all of them. And so it is interesting. And I, I will say this, Justice didn't seem to be nearly the loudest guy on the field. Hardly ever remember him even celebrating much, like after a big run. I loved seeing him hit the first down flex after that long run. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. I do hate that he wears 43. Unless it oh, means it's terrible. Something nice to him, then I would hate to say that. But just the number 43 looks terrible. Yeah, no, you're you're 100% right. It is was Darren Sproles 43? I think that's right. Is that right? It feels right. Off the top of my head, he was a he was a odd number like that. I don't remember what he was for the Saints. Uh I'm gonna I'm gonna Google real quick. Uh, because we do have that available to us. He was 43. Well, How about that? 43. For the good call. Yeah. Good call. Boom. And um, he does run a little bit like Sproles, but a little bit bigger. Yeah, he yeah, definitely a little bit taller. Still a slight frame, though, like we talked about, kind of yep. that Jaden Nixon body type. The last note, I hate to end on a negative, but you mentioned him, James Washington, right before we started recording, was released by the Saints. Kate, I don't know what's going on there. You know, I I stay pretty in tune with the Saints, listen to several Saints podcasts. 
everything kind of made it sound like he was doing okay. And then you didn't really hear about him at all. And then he doesn't do anything in that first preseason game. And then he's released. Well, does does Michael Thomas being back have anything to do with that? I mean, it could. You know your Saints better than I, I mean, do. They have a lot of wide receivers on the right. roster right now. They have a lot yeah. of guys. And, you know, they're, they're even adding more tight ends with Jimmy Graham back and things of that nature. So there's a lot of players, only one ball in the field, you know, they Camara, who's going to be suspended for a little bit, but they added Kendra Miller, who ended up getting injured in that first game, which you always hate to see that. But they had a lot of guys on this roster, so I'm not really sure what the plan was. But I don't know. Is this is this it for Washington? Or do I you don't think somebody else picks him up. I don't think so. I, he's too talented to fade away like that. He was with the Steelers for too long, too. Has made enough plays in the NFL to where I think somebody's going to take a shot at him. Like I look at like. The Bears, who they've got a franchise quarterback who's growing in Justin Fields. And uh, forgive me, but I can't name a receiver off the top of my head that Justin Fields has at his disposal. Like the Bears could be a spot for him. Uh, one of those like, you know, young teams that may not yet be fighting for a playoff spot, but has a young nucleus. He'd be great as a third option. I mean, d- the Dallas Cowboys last year. James Washington was going to be the third receiver and that injury happens. And then the saints pick him up and they're, they're, they're a log jam in the wide receiver room. So I don't know what it looks like, but I don't think it's the end for him. I, I, there's plenty of teams that need receivers uh, quickly. I would think. Yeah. Unless it's still something injury related, which I haven't heard. I, I agree with you. I think, I think he sticks around a little bit, but Kate, I, I mean, I think that's it. We probably won't do an in-depth in NFL breakdown like that, but after the first week, we kind of wanted to dive in, talk about some of the OSU guys. If there's anything notable, like Mason Rudolph takes the starting job or anything of that nature, we will definitely talk. And I know I know, we didn't talk about some of the guys that didn't have a lot of stats or some of the offensive linemen like Tevin Jenkins, but those were kind of the key ones we wanted to hit on. That was all I had, Kate, if you want to move on to OSU football now. I, I am ready for that. So the first couple of things are not specifically team on field related, but thought we needed to hit the season ticket sellout. So Oklahoma state announced that the season ticket packages are completely sold out for the 2023 football season. So total of 49,555 season tickets in the stadium capacity after the renovations is 53,855. So season tickets include suites, club seats, seating bowl, and student tickets. The difference is made up. So the remaining tickets is made up of three game ticket packages, single game tickets, and the allotments for opposing teams. And this is the first time Oklahoma state has completely sold out of season tickets since 2013. One side note, the only way to obtain tickets to the bedlam game were by purchasing season tickets. There were no single-game tickets there. Kate, what are your thoughts? Do you think the reduced capacity has anything to do with this? Do you think there's a lot of hype with the renovations and just the yeah. team in general? What, what do you think kind of I feel like it's played maybe, into this? Yeah, I feel like maybe less hype around the renovations, but hype around the schedule, welcoming four new Big 12 members, the last Bedlam. You know, I don't want to give OU fans any credit, and I won't, but I do think the Bedlam game being on the schedule has something to do with it. Uh, I went and looked a couple of days ago and saw there were only singles left, and uh, very quickly after that, it was uh, completely sold out. But I 
I don't know. I hope that's not the case. I hope that OU fans didn't just gobble him up to do nothing with him until the final game, but it has happened in the past. Uh, I would just give Oklahoma State a lot of credit, though. That's a great accomplishment in a year where you don't play anybody from any traditional school from the state of Texas at home. You don't play anybody from Texas at home. You're welcoming Cincinnati, BYU. Uh, you've got Kansas State, Kansas. I mean, I'll honestly, Dustin, it's not the sexiest home schedule that Oklahoma State has ever had, but it's a sellout, and I think it's a great step in the right direction. And if Oklahoma fans account for 5,000 season tickets sold and Oklahoma State goes 10 and 2 this year, they will sell out again next year. I can, um, I feel like I can guarantee you that. And you know who contributed, K, to that number this year? I mean, obviously me, not to, not to just like <laughs> give myself flowers, but I'm, I've been a season ticket holder since we moved back from Houston. But my parents, LSU about grads, it? bought season tickets this year to attend games with us. I, I don't know how hard they're cheer. They'll cheer for Oklahoma state, or if there's a big LSU game, they probably won't go, but they contribute. That's awesome. Yeah. Good. Good for them. Always appreciate so shout out to that. Them. Shout out to your parents as always, but especially on this. And they listen. So they'll hear this well, and they'll probably be like, Dustin, you're an idiot. Thank you. Cade. Yeah, absolutely. And cosign. Uh, no problem. You're absolutely welcome. <laughs> uh, along. No other real big takes on that. Uh, again, and we have to hit this note, Cade, because it's the AP poll. I'm not shocked. I- I'm not surprised. <laughs> Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State, I'm a little surprised they didn't receive any votes, but Oklahoma State's not ranked in the top 25 Associated Press college football poll. They, you know, they received votes in the coaches poll. They weren't in the coaches poll. This is the first time Oklahoma State has received no votes at all in the preseason AP poll since 2008. Oklahoma State was That's coming crazy. off a seven and six record in an insight bowl win over Indiana that season. It was Mike Gundy's third as head coach, and the Cowboys went on to finish that season number 13 in the AP poll with a nine and four record. So Oklahoma State's not ranked. Kate, I wasn't shocked by that. I was a little shocked by zero votes. What were your thoughts there? Uh, you you nailed it hundred percent. I there are some teams on that list that I I don't necessarily agree with. Um, even teams receiving votes that I personally would have put Oklahoma state ahead of, but yeah, I would say if you're not listening to this podcast and you're not locked in the way, you know, bleeding orange OSU fans are, yeah, you may look at the national headlines and see a roster decimated by portal entries. You may take a quick Google search and look at, you know, the over underline at six and a half and think, well, yeah, Oklahoma state's not going to be very good. And that may end up being true, but neither of us think that. We actually think the opposite. This is going to be a pretty good football team. But I'm not surprised that they're out. I was surprised that nobody was bold enough to uh, consider them worthy of a top 25 spot. But, I mean, it's hard to blame anybody, you know, for that, Dustin. The way they ended last season, the national storylines, this just has set up to be a classic Mike Gundy overachieving type of year. And uh, I think it could start here. Mike Gundy doesn't care about preseason rankings and he shouldn't. And frankly, they've never meant less than they do right now. Our buddy Adam Lunt had a great uh, tweet about it. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I know he said something smart like always on Twitter, but with the transfer portal, with all the movement and shakeups that rosters are going through nationally, do you expect like, 
the USC writer, that's maybe even a bad example. Do you expect the Oregon writer to know much about Oklahoma State and the way they've replaced talent this year? I don't personally, but that's what we're asking these people to do. And so I give them a, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, but it does expose it as just kind of nonsense in a way this early on. We we even talked, and that's a great point and g- great call by Adam as well. We talked about it on a previous pod. Mm-hmm not trying to make excuses for the national media, but in this era of college football with NIL transfer portal, just kind of not knowing what's going on conference realignment, all that kind of playing into everything. It's impossible to be a national media person or, or even a local media person and rate these teams on a national level. I talked about it when all of the uh, preseason magazines came out. Yep. Athlon's did. magazine. I have last year's, I have this year's, I have two years ago. Not, not to flex. I have a lot of magazines. But if you look at the size, just the sheer amount of pages in this year compared to previous years, that Athlon magazine is not even close to the same size as it used to be. You know, guys like Phil Steele do a good job getting theirs out with all the info, but he had to release his later than normal. And he normally puts out an FCS one as well. That one still isn't even complete because they had to take so long on the FBS one. So all that to say, it's literally impossible to do this, and I, I don't even know how they do. I, if I was asked to do it, I would have no idea. You know who did get a vote, though, Cade? One vote. Who was South that? Alabama. Wow. I'm going to stop talking about them until we do the preview, but I just want you to know that South Alabama would beat Arizona State by three touchdowns if they played tomorrow. Yeah, which which does scare me because I've called out that Arizona State game as a little bit trappy. I think Oklahoma State's clearly the better team, but it does have a trap game type of feel, a new roster figure in itself out. But Dustin, I, I, I just have to go back to something you just said. If, if I could send this to our producer and get them to clip you saying I have a lot of magazines and just take it out of context and use it as a soundbite on our future soundboard, I think I would. Uh, it's just one of the best things you've said on this podcast and you've said a lot of great things. So <laughs> I, I heard everything you said, but I couldn't let that go unsaid. Uh, but I agree with you, Dustin, there's, there's too much going on in, in college football today to be locked in the way you would need to. Um, and I, you know, it's funny, like you and I are the, to the two guys kind of on an Island here. Like I, I listen to other Oklahoma state podcasts. Everybody thinks that Oklahoma state's going to be decent. I think you and I, in this community are the ones that think like the highest of this football team. I don't know if that makes us the idiot. And it yes, makes, it does. It, it, there's a lot of things that make us the idiots around in the room, but I don't know if this is the one. And if you look around, nobody is giving Oklahoma state a shot. And so maybe we end up being the idiots, but I don't think that's going to be true. We've been pretty right. Uh, more so than, than not. Yeah. I, and if you look at the schedule, you kind of segued perfectly. I was going to talk about the other Big 12 teams that are ranked in the AP poll. So four in the AP poll, none in the top 10. Texas at 11, K-State at 16, TCU at 17, and OU at 20. So Oklahoma State only has two teams on their schedule in this top 25. Again, you can't put a lot of stock into these, especially in this transfer portal era. But it just kind of goes back to what you were just talking about, about our thoughts on this Oklahoma State team and one of those factors is this kind of weaker schedule. I mean, a hundred percent. And I think that's one of the major reasons I went over six and a half the moment I heard it. But I mean, Dustin, can we talk about the Big 12 just real quick? Texas at yeah. 11? What do you think? 
Man, it's it's so tough. Like when I when I was looking at that preseason Big Twelve media poll and the coaches won, I would I would have so much trouble going one through fourteen. It's literally it's just a jumble. Even at the top, I, I, I would agree. Who, and and you know, everybody kind of they're a really good team, but they lost guys like Deuce Vaughn, Cade Warner, right? Uh, yeah, Felix. And your DK Uzama, or however you say well it, he was a really, really good player. And, and I'm not even – they lost more guys than that. And I know they return a lot of players and a lot of production, Phillip Brooks, but it's still – it's literally impossible, I think, in the Big 12 to go 1-14 through 14 and, and make it accurate. If you do that, you should just live in Vegas for the rest of your life. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I just – I have an issue with Texas at 11 and only because like, I, I don't know what they did last year to, you know, warrant the hype coming into this year. I mean, maybe they figured out their offensive line is probably going to be the best unit on that team. Not to talk too much about Texas, but I don't envy the AP poll voters. I have an issue with Texas at 11 and Texas tech was barely left out of the poll. They were the first team out uh, that would have been the fifth Big 12 team to to crack the top 25. So, yeah, Dustin, if you were asking me to pick a Big 12 preseason champ, I I, I don't know if I could do it. We're going to have to next week when we talk about this. But it is it is a crapshoot, and everybody kind of jumbles the middle of the league together where they're, it's very clearly Texas 1, K-State 2. And after that, I don't know, but I don't even know if that's true. Like, I, I might put K-State at 1 and then – you know, who knows after that? So it, I, I don't envy anybody trying to analyze this conference on a high level like our buddies Philip and uh, Andy. Yeah, the only uh, the only thing I feel pretty good about is Iowa State last. I, I Well, I'll see your Iowa State and raise you a West Virginia. Those yeah, two are yeah, one of those two. Plummeting. I think those are your bottom. Yeah, I think so too, which doesn't hurt that you have – those two on the road this year, because I do think those are going to be your bottom two this year. Tough, tough draw for Matt Campbell with everything going on. Yeah. Uh, just some other kind of big 12 related notes. Utah was at number 11, Texas tech, Kansas Baylor received some votes. So we'll see how it plays out. Oklahoma state, not in there uh, real quick before we get to football news and notes, Colin Oliver makes another award list. He's on the Chuck Bednar Bednarik list for that's for the most outstanding defensive player. So now he's on two of those lists with the Bronco Nagurski as well. So the, this award has been given out since 1995. He's one of 85 players, 11 of those in the big 12 still no Kendall Daniels on these lists, which is kind of surprising, but shout out to Colin. He's now on two of those most outstanding defensive player list. And I think he's going to have a big season in that new Sam linebacker spot and his his new position as a Sam linebacker. So it'll be interesting to watch, but just kind of wanted to call that out and shout Colin out. Yeah, no question. I, I think this is going to be his best year yet as a Cowboy. I think this position fits him really well. All right, Cade, on to football news. I kind of wanted to start with a couple of injuries slash leaving the team. And I think the one we've kind of buried the lead here a little bit, I guess, but it happened not that long after the podcast. Arlen Bruce, the Iowa transfer wide receiver, slot receiver. We had heard he'd been kind of running with the twos sometimes, Blaine Green running with the twos more in that kind of twos, three spot. But someone with two years of eligibility left who – kind of plays that 
similar to Brennan Presley type role, but behind Brennan, someone that was contributing in practice. He was there when I was in the spring getting reps with the twos. He has been named in the investigation into the gambling by Iowa players that we mentioned before on this podcast during the 21 and 22 seasons. It alleges that Bruce bet on 11 Iowa games that he played in. Mike Gundy, or uh, for the first kind of announcement that OSU made when asked about it was they were aware. It's an OSU spokesperson said they are aware and continuing to gather information, not at the point of being able to comment yet. Mike Gundy had his media availability and he mentioned that he got the same information that the media got that Bruce no longer involved in team activities at this point. He has some things he needs to work on way outside of football. And that's all Mike Gundy really knows. He went on to say, when you take a portal transfer, they have multiple years of eligibility. You have them until they're graduated. So he's still on scholarship even though he's not with the team. So he's still taking up a scholarship. And I wanted to mention that because our guy, Brian Metcalf at Brian J Metcalf asked about the wide receiver depth chart and what they're going to do with that open scholarship. So it did not open up a scholarship. Robert Allen confirmed that on the radio as well. We'll talk about the wide wide receiver depth chart aspect of it in a little bit, but I wanted to hit that. Cade, all that to say, sorry for rambling. What were your initial thoughts I personally wasn't super shocked because we had heard some rumblings that this might happen, but it definitely sucks and it hurts the depth and you don't really have a another guy like Brennan Presley now in that slot receiver spot besides some true freshmen that came in. I think Mike Gundy just as well confirmed that, that he was practicing very well and was going to be a factor on this team. And I, you and I have talked about him almost every episode of this podcast in the offseason as somebody to watch who probably doesn't elevate you from, you know, seven to nine wins. I don't think that's the type of player that we're talking about, not even really the position, but I do think it really hurts you at that inside receiver. Uh, I I think it limits you potentially in some sort of uh, package alignments that you could go with. I think if you look at him plus Braylon Presley transferring in the offseason, all of a sudden that inside inside receiver room feels a little bit thin does it not yeah and young if yeah not i guess kind of thin as far as inexperience and young what you know you have a bunch of dudes they brought in as true freshmen jalen pope tyke andrews cameron heard that can all play that spot but to your point none of them have even played a snap and some of them didn't even get here until the summer Right. I mean, we remember Brennan Presley. He he barely played his freshman year intentionally so that he could come in his sophomore year and be ready to go. That was, I'm sure, what they were hoping to avoid. And, you know, I, I'm not going to speak to it, but it, it, in a situation like that, injuries happen. And all of a sudden, this looks a whole lot different at that position. And um, you hope that's not the case. You hope that doesn't happen. But no, it's it's a big loss for for all of those reasons. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more wide receiver depth chart aspect of it when we get to the team notes, but just wanted to hit on that. I'm not going to go into all the details. It, if you guys want to look those up, it, it's just it's not really something we normally talk about on this podcast. 100%. So didn't, didn't want to go through it in, in further detail, but definitely wanted to hit that because it pertains to the team. Along with that, Elijah Collins. So, Cade, I had heard from Extreme Camp that Elijah Collins was dealing with some cramps and he wasn't practicing, it sounds like it might have been a little bit more than that, and that was kind of what was kind of said at extreme camp, but 
I know they weren't really talking about a lot of injuries because Mike Gundy confirmed that Elijah Collins had been banged up and out for a little bit of time. Right. He apparently was back yesterday at practice, but you definitely don't want injuries to the running back room, especially not someone who we know is a the most experienced guy in the room with all of his time at Michigan State, almost a thousand yard rusher two seasons ago. It was a little surprising to hear that news about Collins. I, I think you and I had talked off air about the cramp stuff I had heard, but it sounds like it might have been a little bit more than just that. Yeah, and you hope everything's okay. Um, as we've talked about this running back room, it's going to be running back by committee. He figures to be a factor in that. And so, yeah, good news that he's back. Um, Mike Gundy spoke again to that specific point. Yeah, a yeah. little bit banged up, and uh, but he's he should be back and said the same thing, actually, about Jaden Nixon. So. Yeah. So Jaden Nixon, that's who I was going to get to next, Kate. So perfect move to that. He's banged up and was out a little bit, and he's not expected back until the middle of this week. So I don't know. I wasn't able to confirm if he was back at practice today, which is Tuesday, August 15th. And then Wednesday is an off day tomorrow. I'm assuming they probably kept him out today, get the off day, and then he'll probably be back on Thursday. But yeah, <laughs> There's two of your three running backs that you were that were expected to play along with Ollie Gordon. 100%. The one good thing is Ollie Gordon apparently has been dominating in getting a lot of those reps. So that that's awesome to hear because we know Ollie is a guy with a lot of potential, big time high school recruit, a guy that made some plays last season. But it's tough to hear about Collins and Nixon. Yeah, no question. I you, I'm sure they'll be ready for opening day. That's kind of all that you're, you know, worried about in that situation. Doesn't sound like either of these are too big of deal but yeah not not great news this close to uh that date and the last note before we move into practice notes ricky lolahia the incoming freshman d lineman from trinity in texas he is no longer on the team he's no longer on the football roster i didn't get any information on exactly why i do know talking to a friend of mine that coaches high school football in texas that he was ineligible for the playoffs last season due to academic reasons. I don't want to speculate and say that's why, but I feel like it's got to be mentioned when he leaves the team. And then, you know, about that in the past, wish him all the best. He was a guy we were excited about. Yeah, for Someone sure. That added a ton of weight from when Oklahoma state additionally started recruiting him and possibly was going to be a factor in a few years at that nose tackle spot where you see Justin Kirkland, Colin Clay, Aiden Kelly, Iman Oates, and those guys. So tough to hear. Wish him all the best. Wish him best of luck in his college career moving forward. But as far as we know, he is no longer on the team. Yeah, and a, a little bit of a surprise. I'm glad you factored in kind of what's gone on previously. You don't want to speculate, but um, it, it was a surprise. And so it's a it's not the worst position group for that to happen to. I do think you know that defensive tackle spot they feel pretty good about this season, but. Absolutely. As you said, they, they look to him to be somebody who factors in going forward. So they'll, they'll have to figure out what they want to do. Awesome. Okay. Let's get into the practice notes. So Oklahoma state had their first full team scrimmage inside Boone Pickett stadium. It was also on Mike Gundy's 56th birthday. So happy birthday. Shout out to our guy, Mike Gundy, who also celebrated not only with a scrimmage, but at the Zach Bryan concert. Absolutely. And, and he was up on stage. All of that was pretty cool. You and I probably care. I love Zach Bryan, but probably care a little bit more about the two-hour scrimmage. Gundy said it was a 100-play scrimmage, for a lack of a better term. Didn't go to the ground, but it was very game-like. Got a lot of work, got a lot accomplished. 
stayed healthy, he said, and that's always his worry this time of year. So they're continuing to rotate guys by position, and everybody competed and played with each other. I would say it was a pretty balanced scrimmage. As a head coach, sometimes you don't really know what to look for when you are talking about an offense and a defense being better, but it was pretty balanced. There were good things on both sides. There were things we need to work on on both sides. So to this point, Cade, to Tuesday, they have had 11 practices. Like I said, Wednesday's an off day. School is one week away, and there's going to be one more scrimmage later this week. I, I think it's pretty awesome. I just kind of wanted to throw it back over to you. You can hit on Zach Bryan if you want to, but <laughs> I think it's awesome that they went ahead and had this scrimmage. I did hear, I think it was Robert Allen that said this, maybe in a poster board article, that the defense isn't actually rotating through their groups as much as the offense anymore. I think they're kind of sticking with their ones and twos, rotating in threes or, or groups like the D line where they're rotating a bunch of guys in. So I think Gundy's really talking about the offense when he's saying they're still rotating a bunch of guys in, which makes sense. Makes sense. And I think it's what you would expect. The defense needs to figure out what it looks like with this brand new scheme. I, I, I love the approach. If that's in fact what they're doing, um, the offensive line should be an open competition up until camp. So, or I'm sorry, up until the season starts. So hundred uh, percent agree. And that defensive line, that front seven, you want that playing as a tight unit week one. We remember how disjointed things looked uh, against central Michigan when they came to town to open the season last year. So yeah, I, I love that if that's in fact what they're doing. Yeah. And, and another thing on that point with the defense is, they installed the base in spring. Right. So they're adding on to that base defense and you've got to get reps with the guys that you think are actually going to be on the For field sure. when you're doing that. And I know the offense is changing some stuff with the gap scheme. I don't, you know, that's not, as big, I, it's a big like philosophical change, I think, for the offensive linemen and the running backs and the quarterbacks with kind of their steps going under center. But the defense has so many different things in this new scheme that they got to be paying attention to. And, and again, it's not a huge change. Knowles did them, some odd front stuff. We saw Mason do it, but it's definitely kind of playing into the fact that they got to get these guys reps. So back to the offense, just kind of moving through the groups, Cade. Quarterback. Gundy keeps saying it's an open competition. What are your thoughts on that? Either he's straight up lying or Garrett Rangel has come on faster than we can confirm he has. Um, That's the best way I could frame that. But I mean, everybody has said Garrett Rangel appears to be catching on. He's changed his body. His arm looks good. The accuracy seems to be better than it was late last season. But I, I don't think it's an open competition. I mean, I, I, I will maintain that, as we decided last week, this is more a current uh, portal environment you know, type of play. that It gives you no benefit whatsoever to reveal your starter this early on. Not saying Garrett Rangel would transfer this early, but I, I just don't believe that to be true. And, and maybe it is. And if it is, Dustin, is that not a is that not a good indicator of that Garrett Rangel is further along? Like, does that not give you a warm fuzzy or maybe you, you and I are orange glasses, you know, half glass, half full kind of people. Others could look at that and say, Bowman's not, not the deal, but I don't think he's telling the truth. And if he were, I feel like that would mean good things for Garrett Rangel. No, I completely agree with you. I think it is a good thing if Garrett Rangel is playing well and we have heard he is, apparently he continues yep. to impress and did at the scrimmage. 
because we know about Alan Bowman's injury history. Right. And if he goes down, Garrett Rangel comes in and, and he's was on Bowman's heels throughout fall camp, throughout the summer, throughout the spring, working to try to gain that starting spot, then you feel a lot better having to throw him in a game, especially being 10, 12 pounds heavier is what he said recently. Whereas last year, you look at him out there, his body wasn't ready. Obviously, he wasn't ready mentally. And this is a guy that you and I both liked coming out of high school. So I definitely think you're correct, and that's a positive. Zane Flores apparently has been making some plays as well. Bowman apparently made a few plays with his legs recently. So it's not something we we hear a lot about Alan Bowman, but wanted to hit on the quarterbacks for a second. We talked running backs already a little bit, so won't hit them. Ollie, we mentioned he stepped it up. I did want to note, apparently Braden Cassidy was given the ball on a handoff around the five-yard line and scored a touchdown last Thursday. So that hasn't happened. That fullback, <laughs> cowboy back, tight end, getting a handoff. Is in Kai game. Staley? Is Kai Staley the last one? That probably is because I, I went and looked, and no, none of the cowboy backs had a carry last season. Yeah, I mean, no, I can't actually remember the last time they turned around and handed it to a fullback. They've just recently started going under the eye more. I, I don't, I don't, I can't remember the last time that's happened, much less for a touchdown. Yeah, it that would be a a shocker. But again, it lends you to wonder what all they've got planned for that new tight end position. Uh, if they've got bruisers, they may use them. Yeah, uh, moving on to wide receivers, tight ends. Blaine, talking about the the loss of Arlen Bruce, Casey Dunn has been asked about it. He's saying that Blaine Green has been rotating into that slot position. Oh, wow. Not really a. Brennan Presley type player, a little bit bigger type of slot receiver. I was trying to think of some recent big 12 guys like that. And the first one that came to mind, little Jordan Humphrey, who's with the oh, Saints yeah. for a little bit. So he's a, 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 he's way bigger than Blaine Green. He was like 6'4", 225. I think Blaine Green's like 6'1", 220. But it's, it's that type of slot. I know it's not really the Arlen Bruce type, but he's been rotating there. Obviously, when they go... Four wide, Blaine Green and Rashad Owens have been rotating in there. Some of the younger guys, Tyke Andrews, Jalen Pope, Hill Cabanes has been rotating inside and outside. And Cameron Hurd, who's a guy that Casey Dunn has talked about, you know, the quarterback from Houston Fur High School who was recruited to Oklahoma State as a wide receiver. So it'll be interesting to kind of see what they do. You hope Brennan Presley stays healthy. If Brennan Presley is healthy, even if Arlen Bruce was on the team, I don't think he's coming off the field very much. We talked about that last week. We think they're right. going to try to get Presley the ball in a lot of different ways, screens out of the backfield, maybe even pitching pitching it to him. I could even see them direct snapping it to this guy. That's how much they like him. Casey Dunn, Gundy really think he can change games with his dynamic playmaking ability, as do you and I. So that's how I kind of see the slot position going to answer Brian Metcalf's question from earlier, but do you have any other thoughts there? Any concerns about that position? I, I, I do. And I think we kind of touched on them earlier. I mean, I, I know that they just tweeted out today that open tryouts are coming up and I'm not saying they're to that point, but can you go find a Landon Wolf walk on and give you some depth, <laughs> a, a diamond in the rough type of situation? A Justin Southwell. Yeah. A friend of the pod. 
We'd love a Justin Southwell out there in these uniforms. I think he said he, if he had some eligibility, he'd be willing to. So, <laughs> no, I, I do have concerns about it, and 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 Presley's versatility, his, um, you know, his ability to stay healthy, all critical. One thing I do like about the prospect of Blaine Green in that position, he's a chain mover. And I think in that position, you've got to have one because it's going to be outside of, you know, your your first option. When things break down, you're going to be looking that direction quite often. And so, you know, one thing I'll ask, too, is like, does the cowboy back or I'm sorry, that's going to have to. <laughs> I'm going to say that so many times this year, <laughs> even though it's really a tight end. But does the introduction of a receiving tight end change the importance of a you know multitude of slot receivers that's going to be something i'm watching out for too is yeah. how do they truly use the tight end because that would help you with depth at that position down the line yeah i agree it could be presley and blaine green on right. the other slot or it could be a josiah johnson to your point so i think i think the depth there isn't is a concern to your point. I don't think it's like a season changing wins, loss totals, as you mentioned earlier with Arlen Bruce, because I think you could throw a Blaine green in there or shadow. And you have Josiah Johnson, Quentin Stewart, Ian Edenfield. You could throw Jaden Nixon in the slot. We know we've seen him lined up out, out there before. So there's a, a lot of guys. And to your point, how many times are they going to be going four wide, three wide, maybe even two wide in some of those bigger sets? So we'll kind of see how it goes. Um, along with that at wide receiver, Brendan Presley and Talon Shetron continue to impress. Blaine Green was recently one of the after-practice interviews. Love listening to him talk. He's got a lot of confidence in, in himself, so that's pretty awesome. And then wrapping it up with the offensive line, Taylor Materko talked to the media. He's another offensive lineman along with Birmingham, along with some of these guys who have Springfield, who talked to the media and just sound overly confident about themselves and about the run game this season. So it's pretty awesome to hear. And the only other note, Kate, on the offensive line is Robert Allen reported that Cole Birmingham – and Jason Brooks are kind of on like a snap count. They have some oh, wow. lighter days just to make sure Cole coming off the injury, Brooks getting banged up at times last year and being one of the more talented linemen on the team, one of the better pullers on the team. I think they're just trying to maintain and make sure these guys stay healthy through fall camp. You'll take it. I mean, we, we've talked about it. This offensive line on paper looks like it should be better, much better even than last season, but it doesn't take a whole lot of issues up there uh, to be right back in the spot you were this last season. So, yeah, I, I love it. I love a pitch count for these guys. We're switching to defense now, Kate, unless you had anything else on the offense. And to start defense, I did want to mention, we talked about the defensive in-depth, and we forgot to mention, or I forgot to mention, it, I, definitely my fault because I was moving us through the defense, Xavier Ross and Jaleel Johnson, two guys who I know are going to compete yep. there. We talked about defensive in-depth. Xavier Ross is a guy who's been on the team for a little bit. He's kind of a tweener in between defensive tackle and defensive end. But Gundy was recently asked yep. about him, and I actually asked around a little bit about him. And it sounds like he's in the defensive end rotation, but he's kind of that second defensive tackle that would come in when they go into that four down, even front look. So I do think you'll see Xavier Ross some as a situational guy, and you may see him rotate in some at defensive end. And then they really like what Jaleel Johnson is doing as well. I know we got a question from our guy, Ryan, 
at Ryan three zero five five four one two nine asking about Xavier Ross and what position he's playing. So I definitely wanted to hit that. But when Gundy was asked about him, he said he looks a hundred percent different now than he did this time last year. He's bigger. He's developed himself. He's competing. And he understands that it's okay. It's going to be violent. And there's a lot going on. And just to keep fighting. And he's very pleased with him. So I wanted to call out those two guys and mention that they're continuing to impress. Yeah, that one was an eye-opener for me. Xavier Ross has been a guy that, you know, you you wonder about how things are going because he's not contributing as much as we would have thought when he came out of high school. He was a guy that I think most people who follow along had circled as a you know, a starter on this defensive line at some point potentially down the road. So it's good to hear that. And it's interesting to hear, you know, some of the perspective on these guys that don't necessarily fall off, but that you don't hear about as much. And and Gundy offers up, you know, quite a transparent look at what was going on with him. I always appreciate that out of him. But I mean, it, again, a, another guy that we didn't talk about last week, but continues to show that depth at the defensive tackle spot. And if he can move outside too, that's even better because we talked about potentially a lack of, you know, proven depth at that position if you were to experience some issues. So, yeah. So, apologies to Xavier Ross and giving him his flowers as well, as Gundy did. Uh, another guy Gundy mentioned is Colin Clay. We've talked about him a lot. But one quote that I wanted to pull out from Gundy is the last thing he said about Clay. He is a powerful dude. That was great to hear. Colin Clay was awesome with the media as well. He handling all the questions great. Media asking him about the quarterback battle. They're asking the nose tackle about the quarterback battle as they continue to ask everybody about it. And Colin handled it with ease. He he had great answers for everything. So he's he's just kind of awesome to listen to. The last player I wanted to talk about, I know we've talked about him a lot, but Justin Kirkland. Jason Brooks has some quotes talking about him and how much he lifts. He's saying he's over there benching and squatting houses almost. And then we heard recently at practices from some of the recent practices that he is taking on double teams and just manhandling dudes. And it could, could be a reason some of the offensive linemen are on a snap count because apparently Justin Kirkland has picked up his intensity. One of those things we talked about, the coaches are working with him on to do it every single play, explore it off the snap. He's got that mindset now, and he has just been an absolute monster at practice recently to the point where maybe maybe uh, don't let him do that to all of the offensive linemen. Maybe go against some of the third string guys. Yeah, go go over to the uh, to the scout team and and manhandle those guys a little bit. I mean, what was the number that was thrown out there on his on his rep count? Forty five to fifty. Yeah, times? forty to fifty reps at two twenty five. On bench that doesn't make sense my I, has anybody ever done that at the nfl combine i don't think i think that would be literally a record if that was true at that point it's got to be like hey just put more weight on there and let them do a yeah. little less because that doesn't stop. even make any sense stop, <laughs> stop. i mean that's like the stop bar. or call the police kirkland that's that's an insane amount of reps at that weight uh, it's ridiculous if that's true yeah it, I, I didn't really have it Many other notes on the D-line. We did a full breakdown last week. A.J. Uh, Ridner continues to walk on nose tackle. He continues to get in the rotation. He actually, I talked about him after that spring practice. He looked really good. So just kind of wanted to throw him out there. Linebackers, same guys we kind of talked about, but Xavier Benson was another guy that talked to the media, and he started talking about your guy, Gabe Brown. Again, How about just it? giving him props. 
maybe I think Gabe Brown might be the first kind of third deep linebacker we see in that UCA game after the after your Justin Wrights, Oliver Stevens, Martin Robertson, Benson. I think the next guy up is going to be Gabe Brown. I liked what I saw. I liked what I saw, and I'm excited to see because he's going to play. He may play against Central Arkansas and others if things go well. Yeah, I love it. And then wrapping up with the defensive backs, Kale Smith had a pick in the scrimmage. He's now at four in fall camp, and I think that leads the team, which is awesome. Corey Black continues to be really good. I'm hearing like Corey Black, all Big 12 caliber is how he's looking in practice right now, which we said last week, but just kind of wanted to reiterate that. The Kelvin Beeman has made some plays recently, not a name we've talked about a lot. And then our guy and our our friend Adam Luntz guy, DJ McKinney, Coach Nardo is saying he's going to have to figure out a way to get him on the field because he's just too talented. But you've got Black, Cam Smith, Kenneth Harris, Kale Smith, who we just talked about. There's a lot of guys fighting for these cornerback spots. There's only going to be two of them. I think the main thing, Cade, with cornerback is whoever shows that they can set the edge and make tackles because they're going to be asked to do that in this Brian Nardo defense. It's something I talked about when I did the film breakdown of Nardo's defenses again in an Emporia State. Cornerbacks are going to have to make tackles, and we've seen you know Corey Black at times miss tackles, Cam Smith miss tackles, even Jabbar Muhammad when he was with the team miss tackles. So if someone can show they can set the edge and make a tackle in the run game, I think that helps their case to get playing time and get snaps a cornerback. A hundred percent, Dustin, and not not to take it to a totally unscientific level, but the Kale Smith, Cam Smith thing is going to warp my brain all season because that yes. way, way too close, way too close for me. But I love what they've got at cornerback. It seems like the young talent is very much there. Um, and it gives you the warm fuzzies about, you know, Maybe not this year, but next as to what that room really does look like. It feels like that year Jabbar Muhammad came in. You had A.J. Green in that room at the same time. Like, it feels like they're reloading there. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Okay, that was all I had on football notes. One quick recruiting note, as we mentioned last week, Jaden Nickens, the 2025 wide receiver from Millwood in Oklahoma City, the four-star, had OSU in his final group. He committed to OU. No surprise there. I think you and I both said that last week on the pod. No other big recruiting news right now as they're kind of in that dead period until the season starts, but wanted to hit on that since we brought it up last week. It is a bummer because we thought that potentially there could have been something there at some point, but not necessarily. I mean, it seemed like late that Nickens was a heavy OU lean and it comes up to be that. Um, I did think early on, though, Dustin, in his recruitment, that there was a shot. But I, I always felt like they were going to have a tough time pulling him out of OU. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Cade, I think this might be the final time we go in-depth on basketball as they just got back from their Spain trip, or wrapping it up, I guess, their Spain trip. You want to talk a little about those games that they played that were broadcasted on OSU Max? I sure do. All of them varying broadcast quality, by the way. <laughs> like, Ooh, you had it was a roller coaster the there. It was a roller coaster ride. And no, no shots at OSU Max. We appreciate them even bringing that to us. 100%. But it, like you said, some of the games, it was a little bit hard to see. And some of them, Here. it was a little bit, you had no audio, you had some tough audio in that third game. 
So it was hard to take a ton of way, ton away from these games. But shout out to guys like Marshall Scott with pistols firing, who kind of really deep dove along with you and I watching these games, and our guys Brian Montanati and Doug Gottlieb for calling these games. Absolutely. They were awesome. I would love for them to call every game. No shots there at Dave and John, but Doug and Brian, Brian were really, really good. They really were, and I. I thought it was so funny when Larry called him Peyton and Eli because that's what it was like. But this was such a yeah. like raw look. And I'll say one thing. Doug knows ball. I mean, he really does. Oh, yeah. The way he And he knows this team. Yeah, he does. Hint hand wink wink to some things we talked. He knows them very well. He knows these guys by their number, knows the backstory on a ton of them. The way he spoke about like guys like Justin McBride, who, you know, most people don't know, just turned 18. There was a funny quote going around that Mike Boynton told them that he was the first coach to ever say defense to him. Uh, it was just <laughs> a a fun series of games to watch and to hear the perspective from those two guys was was pretty unique. And I hope that we get more of that. I mean, there's all these streaming services. You've got this inside access. I, I, I love it. And you know, as an OSU Max subscriber, definitely worth the price of admission, just those broadcasts alone. Yeah, I agree. And what you said about Doug knowing this team, you know, he's in that third game, he's sitting on the beach in California, rattling off the backstory of guys, yeah, like Justin McBride and Isaiah Miranda off the top of his head. He obviously wasn't didn't prep for that. He was literally sitting on the beach with his shirt off on the broadcast. And uh, it's just, it's crazy how involved it sounds like he's been he mentioned practices plural when mm -hmm. talking about watching these guys so it, it's kind of crazy Kid, I, I think i don't know if we need to go game by game no. unless you want to but i thought maybe just kind of overall takeaways my my main one just because boynton has talked about him so much in his interviews recently javon small in the first game with four assists and in the third game with 15 points he didn't look great in game number two, but it was kind of a struggle for everybody in that game. I really liked what I saw from him. Overall, I think watching him facilitate and be able to score, again, he's not really much of a shooter from the outside consistently, but he probably gets me the most kind of optimistic about this team going into next season. He absolutely raises the floor and raises the ceiling for this team. You have a distributing ball-dominant, dynamic point guard this team changes and one of the things that i like about this team is it looks like they can shoot i mean they were one of 13 from three uh in the second game and then hit a several to kind of elevate that percentage i wouldn't take too much stock into the one of 13 i don't think those are shots that these guys are taking in games in the big 12 conference but javon small back to your point really what I love about him is he's looking to facilitate and Doug kind of mentioned if anything could look to score more and could look to get downhill like there were a couple of moments where you know there's a kick out and he's wide open one of the things that Oklahoma State's missed in the past is the ability for somebody to score from that position at the point guard spot when they receive the kick out you look at John Michael Wright not a great volume three scorer. Avery Anderson, definitely not a, a three-point shooter. Really, Cade Cunningham's like the only one, and I, I think when you talk about him, you just throw it out because it doesn't count. He's totally a unicorn. 
I think Javon Small is going to be unlike a point guard that Oklahoma State has had in a long time, and he creates opportunities for others like Justin McBride, who if you asked me, Dustin, most most surpri- biggest surprise of the trip, Javon Small included, was Justin McBride. I thought he would be a redshirt candidate. He could still be with his defensive ability, but his scoring, is it's going to be tough to keep him off the floor. I mean, he's a stretch four, six, nine, and doesn't even require a dribble. Like, he he can spot up three. It's insane. And, and you know, we get mad at, on, on the pod. Not, not mad, but we're critical at times in previous seasons, recent seasons, of Oklahoma State players not being aggressive to score, not right. looking to score. Caleb Boone is a good example, just kind Absolutely. of – McBride has never seen a shot he didn't like. (laughs) Same with Eric Daly. Yes. Both of these guys were not afraid. And I I think from what Gottlieb and Montanani were saying that Coach Boynton was telling these younger guys to be aggressive. And that's why you saw guys like a Bryce Thompson kind of take a step back a little bit is what they were saying. They wanted some of the younger guys to really be aggressive. And Daly and McBride did that. And McBride looked like he could score on pretty much anybody over there. And I, I know there's going to be different types of defenders in D1 college basketball than some of these European defenders, but he wasn't afraid and was able to kind of get off a shot against any of these guys. So I completely agree with you on McBride. Uh, another guy, speaking of shots, I like what I saw from Connor Dow. I don't, he oh, didn't yeah. wow me the entire trip, but he can make shots. They were running sets for him. He gets the shot off quick. He hustles. I think his first bucket was a steal and then a breakaway dunk. So it's pretty awesome to kind of see that from Dow. I'm still not sold on him being a major part of the rotation. But, Cade, the the flip side of that is if he's able to shoot, then I guess he has to be. I think they're going to need shooters. I mean, if anything, to totally get the taste out of everybody's mouth around the program, the fan base, that this team can shoot the three. And Connor Dow is going to end up being too good offensively, defensively, and in between the ears to keep off the field or off the court. He is way too smart to be a true freshman in this conference. So I'm I'm very excited to see what he does. I one of the things about again I I watch these and I look for the freshmen Isaiah Miranda, Brandon Garrison, the scoring ability out of the post you're going to take a step back compared to what you had in Caleb Boone who's an elite scorer out of the post but I I think you gained some IQ. I really thought that those guys quickly looked to pass to the weak side. And if you start making some of those, it makes things so much easier on a guy like Brandon Garrison who's 611 250 he's gonna get double teamed in this conference and if he can look to pass to the weak side before the help gets there this is uh this team gets different uh and i again i think you lose some skill you gain some iq with this team they're gonna be young they're gonna make some mistakes but i think as they go along in this season this is gonna look pretty good by the end of the year yeah, and I, I was expecting a guy like Miranda who hasn't even played college basketball yet, along with a lot of these other freshmen, but to look completely lost. And you're right, he did at times look lost, but he did make some smart basketball plays, and he's extremely athletic. Garrison, on the other hand, I think is a smart IQ guy. He just you know missed some shots at times and had, did you know maybe took some bad looks. But I thought overall 
He looked good. Two two notes. John Michael Wright, whose father passed away. Prayers to him and his yeah, family. I believe he was on the trip and then left. Is he my was, understanding. Yeah. He didn't he play in the first final game. two games. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Mike Marsh, who we talked about, is coming off the shoulder injury and surgery. He was on the call in the third game with Larry Reese for a little bit, which was pretty funny. I actually missed that. Yeah, he he was good. It, the audio was a little choppy, but his audio sounded okay, and he was funny. He seems like a great guy, so that was pretty cool. They had, I thought it was going to be like the other interviews they did, where it was like a couple minutes, and they had him on for like I think like 10, 15 minutes. And I was like, whoa, okay. One they're really, uh, they're really setting him up here for future in broadcasting. One of my favorite things about these broadcasts was the opening line from Larry Reese in that first game. He's having a beer courtside and he called it out <laughs> and he left the stream. It was so funny. And, and Larry's such a good guy and uh, has just been such a good ambassador to the university, but it was just so funny. You do, you don't even think about it. This is an exhibition. Nobody, I mean, all you're trying to do is get some run and Larry's, you know, opening the call and he's got a, well, there appeared to be a nice IPA in his hand, so it just cracked me up. It was so good. I think I heard them say that he, him and his wife were there on their anniversary. Oh, like, so I mean, cool. obviously he's with the team, but I think they they were able to go yeah. and do stuff as well, just them two. So that's pretty cool. Shout out to Larry. He's awesome. We love him. So, uh, Kate, I, I, think, I think if we talk too much longer about it, it would be a little bit overkill because they didn't even – Keaton Page was on talking about how they didn't even practice. They're literally just playing these games. I got a couple film sessions in. So it was pretty raw, like you said, telling Bryce Thompson to take a step back. No John Michael Wright. Did you have any other thoughts? Um, I could Hicklin probably looked, come up with them. I think, say that again. Positive at times. Hicklin was positive at times from three, yeah, but I, I, he was I, streaky. They were all streaky. I mean, every single one of them were streaky. I think... One of my biggest concerns is, do you have the ability to score in the post consistently? I don't think you do early on, but we haven't seen Mike Marsh. And I do think he's potentially going to be a guy that rolls in, I mean, even b before Miranda at the five. Miranda looks like a four to me, kind of positionless. Um, his body's not going to allow him to back down and be super physical in the post. So really, one of my biggest takeaways is looking for what they're going to do with him because his athleticism can take him somewhere, but does he have really much else in the tool bag? I, I don't know. And one thing was interesting. I didn't realize this about Miranda. He's played for five different teams since he was a freshman in high school. So he it's has wild. bounced around a lot. And I, I wonder about his development in a, in an environment like that. Uh, what, what level of coaching he's had, what level of coaching he's willing to take. So no, I, I don't have any other takeaways other than uh, give me some pick and pop with with Javon Small, Jerry Sicklin, Connor Dow, and Isaiah Miranda. I'm here for all yeah, that. yeah. Isaiah Miranda dropping a couple threes, so that that was pretty awesome. But I one uh, last thing, I wanted more from Eric Daly. Lots of strange shots, but the scoring ability is so there it's crazy. But it kind of Carmelo in a way. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was a little bit of never really looking to pass. A, a little bit from McBride as well. Just kind of not. I mean, it, they're just scores, man. The ball's going to need to move. The ball's going to need to move. So, uh, Cade, I think it, if we want to go ahead and move into questions, I yep. think we did get one audio one. Do you have that one, or I didn't even I check me, with you? Sorry about no, that. No, you're good. Let me get that queued up. 
I it is from a buddy of the podcast, dear dear friend of the podcast, I should say, in uh, Jake Meyer. Here you go. What's up, guys? Jake Meyer here. As we are rapidly approaching football season, I need a top three rankings of each of your tailgate foods. So give me top three tailgate foods and looking forward to tailgating with both of you this season. Go folks. Looking forward to it as well. My friend, number one on my list is your mom's cookies. A hundred percent. The chocolate chip cookies that Jake's mom prepares at our tailgate. I look forward to them every time. I kind of want to put that in mind, even though. Why don't you just come on by? You come have some. I've been over there. I've been over there. I don't think I've eaten a cookie, but I am a, a freak for sweets or candy or oh, anything yeah. like that, as I've said on here before. So they're ridiculous. I would love that. Kid, I uh I love a good okay, so obviously at Oklahoma State, some different foods than you would have in Baton Rouge when I'm tailgating as a younger person <laughs> at LSU. You know, I love jambalaya and somebody oh, always has that going at their tailgate in Baton Rouge. So that's always wow. been a top one for me. You know, I'm kind of a simple hamburger hot dog is always a go-to. That's I I'm just trying to get some fuel into the body so Absolutely. I can continue tailgating and continue cheering during the game. I'm here to compete with the team. Dude, I was going to say compete. I've I've got something to compete for. <laughs> so it's food for fuel, baby. I totally understand where you're coming from on that. But I mean, if I look at it. I'm not going to throw a veggie tray in there, but I do love, I do love, you know, if I'm going hamburger, hot dog, throw in a couple pieces of, you know, celery on the side there. That's good fuel on a game day for me. I like that. But, uh, I mean, I've, I've got to go cheese dip, you, you, uh, a classic cheese dip. You got to have the hamburger in there. That's critical. I would say, um, and then another one I would throw out there. I mean, we, we don't grill, at our tailgate, but there's always something good. Dustin, we've we've brought in like Chipotle before, and that goes real hard at the tailgate. So I mean there's there's so many. Yeah, I, I think so some go-tos for me on game day. We go shout out to the Mulkies, my 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 buddy Bob. We'll go by their tailgate and it's normally hamburgers, sandwiches, yeah. dip, kind of a whole spread. And I shout out to Miss Robin. Anything she's making or bringing, I'm normally gonna eat. I always like to grab a hot dog if I can from Coney. That's another yeah. kind of go-to there. And if I'm in the stadium, like I, I know I'm going back to hamburgers and hot dogs, but I'm eating a Freddy's burger and that's keeping me going for the second Dude, half. A hundred percent of Freddy's burger. Eat, I know it's, it's not e- really tailgating now. <laughs> it's either that or a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. I mean, a third quarter chicken sandwich will set you free. Yeah, I mean, we're we're just fuel for the body, just kind of strong buff jacked guys that compete with the team sorry you got to sorry jake jawline on uh you know game day (laughs) we got to keep that in mind and so that's why we mix in a seltzer every now and then so (laughs) but if i if i if you want me to go kind of off the wall you got to give me yeah yeah somebody uh, the jambalaya is kind of a go-to for me at at a at a lsu game somebody's always got that going and then kid you know what you know what's always a favorite of mine if somebody has the jalapeno cream cheese oh. bacon, like the little poppers. My dad makes those. He actually made some the other night when he was grilling, brought some over. That's kind of a if you're going if we're going for like a thing that's not the main course, that that's a go-to for me. 
man, those are some of my favorites right there. They're not a frequent at the uh, at the Meyer Webb Brown. Uh, there's McGuire tailgate, but they are uh, always a staple. I mean, I'm gonna remember a bunch after we hop off this podcast, and uh, I'll I'll kick myself for saying cookies, chipotle, and broccoli, but uh, that's about it. <laughs> Any longtime listeners to the podcast know that my and you know, Cade, my food takes anytime we get a food question are terrible. I'm just not. I'm not thinking I'm just about. Dumb. It. I'm not really yeah. normally thinking about it, and I don't eat a ton on game day. I really, I think I've said that on this podcast. Before. Yeah, we just drink. I'm shots. so full. I'm so full. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, so anyway, Jake, phenomenal question. I actually would love to know your top three because you attend my tailgate, our tailgate, Dustin. How about a a beverage? You can't say beer. Don't say you know like a a, a high noon. I'll start a Bloody Mary with a blue cheese stuffed olive at an 11 a.m. kickoff is mm. hard to beat for me. Yeah, I think uh, Bloody Mary is a really good one. I don't know if I'm I don't know if I could top that one because at an early game, that's kind of the go to. Yeah. Stuff a little Jameson orange in your boot. Walk in. Have a great time. My, uh, you know, my go-to drink game day back in the day is, you know, sneaking a pocket shot in your shoe and drinking a warm whiskey <laughs> shot in the game. That's, I mean, that's a move. in a winter game, a, a warm fireball, that's got to be okay. Well, I think the pocket shot is like the most well of well liquor that you can get. So it'd be like the grossest whiskey ever hot <laughs> and, and, and in a, in a hot game in an August, yeah. September Oof, game. Yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm going to pass on those. If you're, if you're doling them out at the tailgate this year. I love the question though, Jake, sorry. I'm terrible at those answers. Kate gave some good ones. The cookies was a great starter. Appreciate the audio question. We're just going to do a couple real quick. Um, we hit obviously two earlier in the pod. So we had a couple, we had a few more at, as we talked about, Cade and I, we love these questions. Thank you guys so much for sending them in. We're going to keep asking for them throughout the season. But if we start running long, we'll probably just take three, four, five here and there. So we'll hit a few of them. Our first one is from Will, parentheses, shots, at the <laughs> Will Stein. He says, dream all-time cowboy football helmet, jersey, pants combo. Cade, I can answer real quick because I know that might be one you need to think about for a second. I, I looked at this earlier and I went the new white. I'm going to go new jerseys because I think those are actually my favorite white with the black numbers, white helmet with the triple stripe, so two orange with the black stripe in yep. the middle and white pants. So the all white look there. And then as an honorable mention, orange cursive Cowboys helmet with the black stripe the white jersey with the orange letters and the orange pants. I haven't seen either of them on the field yet, but those are, I think, two of my instant favorites already. Yeah, I th I think one that is, I'll go a little bit off the beaten path because I don't know if we'll see it. And we haven't seen this, I don't think, ever. Maybe outside of the chrome orange helmets, but I'll go orange cursive with the triple stripe, black jersey, and the new orange pants. That that's that's what I'll go with as my. I want to see that. that. I love that one. That's a great question, Will. Thanks for sending that. We always love jersey questions. So Tyler Jones, do at Doctor Tyler Jones, who leads the team in tackles this year? Colin Oliver. 
Yeah, I, I think it's I think you go between Colin Oliver, Kendall Daniels. Yep. Or I I mean you could throw a Benson. I, I think the linebackers are gonna rotate a little yeah. bit more. So I think Colin Oliver at the Sam. I think the inside guys are gonna rotate a little bit more. I'm gonna go with Kendall Daniels though. That was the other on the team one for me. last year. He was, there's only two guys returning that were even in the top 10 in tackles for Oklahoma State, and he's one of them, along with Benson. Gannon's rover, which is the position Kendall Daniels plays. Gannon is where Brian Nardo was at before Oklahoma State. Chris Farnsworth, he led their team in tackles. Iowa State and John Haycock's defense, which is similar to Nardo's. Brian Frayler, he, led, he was second for Iowa State last year. He plays that rover spot. It just seems like that rover spot gets a lot of tackles in this yep. defense. So I'm going to go with Kendall Daniels. But I, yeah. I think Colin Oliver is another great pick as well because we've seen linebackers lean the team like the past several years aside from Jason Taylor. And I think that could be why it's hard for me to get that out of my head. But this is a new defense, and I you gave a much more scientific answer. Mine is just like I think Colin Oliver is going to be in the mix on just about any run play or pass play inside of 10 to 15 yards. Uh, yeah. I just think he's going to have the ability to roam around and make a bunch of plays. I think it'll probably be Kendall Daniels, but if it's not, I feel pretty confident that it's going to be Colin Oliver. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next one is from Spencer McIntosh at Spencer T Mac. It says, if you could have one former Oklahoma state player back to play in Nardo's three, three, five scheme, who would it be? I think I would go with Vincent Taylor playing nose guard. I mean, that's that's a great – even with Kirkland, who we talked about earlier, Colin Clay, Oates, Kelly, Ridner, Vincent Taylor, man. I, I mean, that would be awesome at the nose tackle spot. I do believe in the young corners on this on this roster, but if I could go with like a – it's former of any any time period, Let's so, just stick Gundy era. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I wasn't thinking Bob Finnamore or anything. I, I was going to say, like, Justin Gilbert to throw in on the opposite side of Corey Black, your your best corner in, in the Gundy era. I, I would put I love him that. out there. Another name at corner I thought of, and this, I guess it's kind of a weird one because he wasn't in Oklahoma State that long, and he was good, but I don't think he was – he wasn't anywhere near the level of Justin Gilbert – Christian Holmes. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason really why good. I thought of him is because of what I was saying earlier about the corners and being able to tackle and set the edge. He was a great tackler. Maybe I mean, one of the best at corner we'd seen. A, a Tanner McAllister, too, a really good cover safety, rangy that can match up well with just about anybody would would do numbers for a, a roster like this right now. Again, that's talking about it today. I think week four, you feel pretty good about what you have out there, but. It's defensive back for me because I feel like the D line's gonna be good. And in the three three five, I'm not gonna throw out Emmanuel Ogba. You know what I mean? Yeah, and there's definitely linebackers you could talk about, like your Rodriguez, your Sean Lewis. A name I thought of, but again, kind of to your point, I wouldn't want to take this guy off the field. Kind of the same with Vince Taylor, even though I would take Vince Taylor, I think, over Kirkland and Clay, but if you yeah, for sure. Wendell Daniels is not a guy I'd want to take off the field. But what about Markel Martin at Rover? Man, I think that that would suit him well. I think Daniel's a better cover cover guy, uh, but Martin definitely golly, a bigger the, guy too. The all way around. rangier athlete, uh, but the way Martin would come up and just <laughs> destroy guys was was pretty awesome. I think we nailed it on that one. Yeah, I, I I love that one. Okay, this one was tough, Cade. I didn't. I looked at this one earlier. I didn't have a lot of thought on it, as you know. 
like I, I do love college football all around, but we are so locked into OSU in the Big 12. These questions are a little difficult. Still love the question, though, Caleb. This is from Caleb Spangler at CS Spangler underscore OSU. He says, who are your predicted conference winners this year? And he wants Big 12, Big 10, SEC, Pac-12, ACC, and Whoa. AAC. So um, well, you're thinking, Kate, I, I, I wrote down just six bullet points real quick right before the pod. So I, I was just going to read through them. Not a ton of analysis, though. I like Michigan I to win too. the Big Ten. Yep. I, I just think they're going to be really good like they were last year. Ohio State's obviously going to be really good, but I think Michigan has got a little bit of momentum right now. SEC, whenever they're supposed to be really good, if I don't pick LSU, even yeah. with teams like Georgia and Alabama, I feel like I'm I'm disrespecting my family, so I got to go LSU. I'm going to take Oregon State in the Pac-12, Cade. They're, they're going to have one of their better teams of all time yeah. this year. They're in the preseason polls. You know, you've got USC, you've got Utah, you've got Oregon, but I, I like Oregon State. ACC, a I'm going to go Florida State. Yep. Tulane in the AAC, because that's the only team I could even really think of. And then Big 12, I'm going to save it for next week. It's fantastic. So uh, easy of you, which is awesome. The only thing I would... I love the Oregon State pick. That's that's hot. It's trendy. I'm probably going to go USC. I if they learn to play defense, that would help them. But I don't yeah, know if yeah. Alex Grinch is that guy, and and Lincoln Riley refuses to do anything about that. So I would even say if it's not USC, I feel really good about Utah. I I I am just a Utah guy. Utah and Nebraska are my 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 other two schools that I follow pretty closely. But Oregon State with DJ Uyunglele, like they are a team to watch, no question. I think they're they're pretty loaded offensively. So I love the pick for you. Florida State is almost a lock for me in the ACC. Uh I'll I'll trail you on LSU because if not it's Georgia and I don't want to that's like okay, that's like the free space in a way. Yeah. But I think LSU is going to be good. Um and I mean, Dustin, we'll we'll see a matchup between LSU and Florida State week one uh, in uh, on Sunday night. That's the Camping World kickoff. So I can't wait for that. And uh, yeah, Big Twelve. I'll I'll wait next week too because uh, I have no clue who I'm going to pick. Yeah, that was that was honestly why I didn't answer it. Okay, two more real quick. Patrick at Patty No Swag says over. This one is difficult, Cade. After what we answered last week with that over under per game. Oh, or it was difficult for me when I looked at it. I still don't have a good answer. Over under 1,800 total rushing yards from the top two running backs. So because we went over 167, if they play 13 games, you got to go over 2,000 total yards. And we're not going to get any from the quarterback. So unless you think the third running back, which would be like an Elijah Collins, is going to rush for – over 300 yards you almost have to say over on the 1800 just due to math it just feels crazy though right like yeah. it's they've not sniffed that number in a long time i mean th this would be a a big turnaround big turnaround I, I actually thinking back on it and listening back 
I think I'm actually going to say under on that 167. I think yeah. they're going to be closer to like 160 because if they throw for 280 or 270, like we said, and then they rush for 175, 180, like we said, they're going to have the number one offense like in the Big 12. So yeah, it feels I, like a stretch. I think I think under on this 1800, and I think I'm going to change my answer from last week to be closer to like 160 rushing yards per game. Sometimes I wish I said these things first, so I don't always sound so uh, agreeing with, but I do. Well, that's my fault. So sorry. 1800 feels high. Like, and again, I don't, I don't remember the total last year, but it felt like they were like at 1200 is what, is what the season felt like is like, nobody's running for a hundred yards. So I have a tough time saying that they improve that by 50% this season. It's a great question. Uh, it really Patrick, is. Thank you for sending that. And the last one, we do another uniform on this time basketball. This is from Caden McCombs at Caden MC underscore. He says he has an unhealthy obsession with Oklahoma State basketball and uniforms. With football getting new unis, is basketball next? And what would you like to see? Dive into full throwbacks. I love anything cursive cowboys on the basketball, but I also love the Bryant Reeves black Oakland that they've been wearing oh. some I think a dive into full throwbacks would be great it would be fantastic you have to have something that fits like home road alternate but Dustin I I think Oklahoma State basketball is like up like I think they are I, I don't know this but they are due for new uniforms if you just follow the cadence like I think this year would be the year that they would get them barring any delays still on the supply chain side of things. So I'm, I've been kind of waiting on that. And if it was me, I would take a, a note out of the uh, football playbook and do that. Like just go simple, go full throwback. And then man, save those Bryant Reeves throwbacks for, you know, a, an occasion because they're just so yeah. good when they wear them. I wish they didn't have the new brand on them. They need the, old school O state that they used to have on them and then swapped it for some reason. Yeah. Like the, are you talking about like the, O, the big like block? Oh yeah. They yeah, had it yeah, yeah. and then removed it. I don't know why. Yeah. I, I love that. And I love that question. And I, I know we don't talk a lot of uniforms on here, but I do love the new football uniforms. Cade. That's I am. So I saw they got released to be on sale now and everything. I love them and I love anything throwback and Oh, anything throwback Oklahoma State. I'm not always down for throwbacks in all sports for all teams, but Oklahoma State's throwback uniforms in basketball and football and even baseball, which they've kind of just taken as the new uniforms again. Yep. It just looks so good. That so clean. kind of 80s, 90s, or early 2000s eras. Yeah, I think I think it's time. And I even think that the court is getting a repaint this year, or at least I know the auxiliary areas did. I think the main area is too. And if that's the case, I would expect new uniforms are trailing. So Dustin, this was fun, man. Next week though, we're like, we're, we're putting a cap on the off season on our last podcast until we get to Oklahoma state football. So it's been a long off season. We've been waiting for this, but it feels like it's rolled right up on us. And I'm excited to do this again with you. So if you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and th threads at feels like 45 pod. You can follow Dustin at Dustragu, and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We'll see you guys back here next week. Go Pokes.